Good morning to everyone today. I think Chuck needs to come to our Sunday school class. I think, you know, I was thinking today when I was walking here, you can always tell when you're getting to Marathon before you even get in here because you have all the laughter that's going on here every every time I come in here. And, of course, Marta is part of that. It's <laughs> always everywhere. So uh, what, a, what a great joy it is to come in here every day and see and hear the laughter. And it was like we're back in the 50s whenever most of us were reared or some of you may be before that. I'm just speaking for myself. So, um, But anyway, it's always a joy to come here. Thank you very much for your attitude because um, if we take this whole room right here and uh, think in terms of 20 years from now, I don't think there's too many of us left in here, but uh, you know what? We can do this in heaven and it'd be awesome. So we, we will look forward to that as well. So, yeah, well, all, I think we need to have a marathon class there. I think... I think the Lord might approve that. We'll, we'll have to run it by the angels that be up there and see. So. We'll be starting in 2 Corinthians today, so if you have your Bibles, we can turn there in just a minute. Does anybody have any stock in Anheuser-Busch? <laughs> so you, you so, oh, Okay, well, there you go. So, so you know that their stock has decreased in value by like $6 billion. So, if you're just now finding that out, we probably need to pray again. <laughs> but uh, they, they have some kind of contract they've worked up with this person whose name I would not mention because I don't try to remember people like that, but he or she, whatever it is, um, they call them trans people these days, and so uh, we can pray for that person so she'll understand that God created male and female. I mean, it's pretty clear in the Bible. So um, as a, um, an American citizen living in 2023, as we started um, back in February, just about anything goes. And certainly that has been the case for our country, unfortunately, uh, we are in dark, difficult times, and Chuck is right. Do we need the joy? Do we need the happiness, the contentment that comes only from knowing and being able to apply God's Word to our lives? So, And that's why we're here, and that's why we study Scripture, and that's why we should be found growing by means of grace and the knowledge of Christ our Savior. So with that being said, I want us to, uh, every time I talk, I try to think in terms of every person here hopefully being filled with the Holy Spirit. And he is our perfect teacher. And Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to us uh, in the Upper Room Discourse. You'll recall the last night he was with the disciples, he said, I'll send you the Holy Spirit and he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance everything that I've said unto you. So that's his ministry. And we need that every day and we need it here as he teaches us, and we have a physical person standing up here, but the fact is that he is the, whoever stands here is really the messenger boy. And so that's kind of the way I look at it. God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who takes these things and makes them real to us if, uh, if we will let that happen. So 
Let's take a moment of silent prayer, and we'll try to use that time for us. If there's anything in our lives that would prohibit that, um, a sin or just issues out there that we all face, which we do, uh, we need to ask God the Father that the Holy Spirit will help us set that aside for the next few minutes so that we can concentrate on God's Word as it's presented. So a moment of silent prayer, then a short prayer, then we'll, we will begin. Let us pray. Father, we're thankful for this opportunity. We're thankful for your word, which lives and abides forever. We're thankful for the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, that helps us not only to learn your scripture, but to recall all the wonderful things that uh, you have given to us in your word, which is your thinking. We're thankful, Father, that we have the mind of Christ available to us on a daily basis. Help us to see the importance of uh, going through that mind of Christ, that we might learn how to reflect to your glory. For we pray in Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> All right, we started back in February looking at the Christian soldier and what the Christian soldier was and is, and that's us, and what our responsibilities are. Uh, but God never gives us responsibilities without giving us the resources to handle the exigencies you face. <clears throat> Whatever you face, every exigency you face, every trouble that comes your way, every pressure that is part of our lives, God has always known about that. And knowing about that, he would never have you in that position without the resources you need to handle it. So the trials and adversities of life come. But as Christian soldiers, we need to remember that he wants us to manifest as Chuck would tell us, a glorious, joyful attitude through the process. And people say, well, how do you get that glory? How do you get, as a Christian believer living in 2023, how do we actually get to the place that we have complete joy, happiness, contentment in our souls on a daily basis? Because it's a full-time job, in case you hadn't noticed. It really is. I mean, you can turn the TV on or I can turn it on, and sometimes I turn it off pretty quick after I turn it on because whatever's there is not good for my edification. And so I, I tend to watch things. I like horse racing. See, you can't, uh, the people who ride the horses can actually do something with it, but that horse is just out there to do one thing. It's pure. He wants to win. And so uh, that's one thing I can watch. I can't watch much news anymore. But the fact is, we should be able to watch and, and go through things with the attitude Christ had. There was never a person who lived on the earth that went through what he went through. He was, the Bible tells very clearly, he, he was tested in all points as we are, yet without sin. He never succumbed. And you think about the fact that the night he was betrayed, all the pressure that he had, <clears throat> thinking about the sins of the world that would be poured out on him and judged while he was alive. And before he died, he very clearly said, it is finished. He said in the, uh, actually said, Tetelesta, it is finished with the result that it remains finished forever. And when he was on the cross, going through all that tremendous pressure, <clears throat> he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Now, that is Christ's glory to me. 
The beauty of who he is was that during the time of horrible testing and disaster, he maintained tremendous decorum and was thinking about others. You say, well, that was Jesus. <clears throat> what does Jesus expect? Well, let's look in our passage here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and notice how that same attitude can be ours as the Christian warrior, and it really can be. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, <clears throat> let's begin in verse 15. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15. Of course, Paul is going back to the, uh, helping the Christians at Corinth. Now, you're talking about a wild bunch. That was a wild bunch. But he was helping those Christians understand that uh, the person who was keeping the law in the Old Testament really did not know Christ. He was going through the formality of the law, but then uh, he had this veil over his face that meant that he could not uh, understand the true gospel of Christ because so he was so uh, enthralled with keeping the law. And that was their way of life. And so he, he says that person like that has a veil over their face. And every person, every person or no one who has accepted, not accepted Christ as Savior, that's how we could categorize them. We could categorize them as having a veil over their face. They can't see the light. And so he was saying now that's not the way we are. But notice the great point he makes in the process of how we can come to reflect the glory of Jesus Christ and have his thinking, his attitude, his joy, his happiness, his contentment that he had, that can be ours. And here's how it happens. And Paul wanted it very clear to the Corinthian Christians. He says in verse 15, But to this day, whenever Moses was read, a veil covers their heart. Because they're depending on the law. But whenever a man turns to the Lord, to Messiah, to Jesus Christ, actually accepts Jesus Christ as personal Savior, that veil is taken away or removed. And that means that person is now a member of the royal family of God. How awesome is that? Now, the Lord is the Spirit. When you look at this phrase right here in Greek, the word order is actually reversed. It actually says, now the Spirit is the Lord. The Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit is God. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But we all, that is, everybody that's had the veil taken away, we all with unveiled face, beholding or looking into a mirror, and the mirror here he is talking about is the Word of God. Looking in the mirror, the, we see, in effect, the reflection of the glory of the Lord. People say, well, I want to know what Jesus was like. Well, we got it. It's right here. We can know what he's like. We don't know what he looks like, but we know how he thinks. We know who he is. And so it, it says here, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, or being, and get this now, transformed into the same image. That's the potential for us, to be transformed into the same image from glory, Christ's glory, to his glory in us. That's what it means, glory to glory. I, when I read that, it staggers me. Because I, can, I have the potential, not because of talent. Gosh, 
There's no, that's, I, that for me is not very much. Not because of ability. Not because of uh, something that um, a lot of people have, I don't know, being a great actor or actress. And being, no, none of that is me. Don't want to be that, as a matter of fact. But God can take a very ordinary person and transform that person from seeing the glory of Christ to having his glory in our souls. But what's the key? Well, we mentioned first God, the Holy Spirit. And then secondly, notice what is mentioned here, looking into the mirror of the Word of God. His glory transferred to us. So I'm looking forward to that. I don't have that every time something arises. I don't know about you. Every time a disaster comes my way or something happens that's not a lot of fun, do I always think like Christ does? And my answer is no. Now, I hope to get there someday, and I know one day I will be there because I'll be face-to-face with him just as you will be. And so that's the Christian soldier. That's the ideal Christian soldier. Now, last time we looked, I want to review very briefly, that we looked at several categories of the will of God and exactly what God expects of us in his will. So I'm not going to go through all of that again other than to mention them in passing. First of all, of course, it's God's will for every person to believe in Christ as Savior. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so when we witness, there's always the potential of leading somebody to Christ. Secondly, it's God's will that we be sanctified. And, of course, sanctification means that once you believe in Christ as Savior, you are now a son of God, a child of God, a believer in Jesus Christ. And as a believer in Christ, you have tremendous potential. And that's what we call positional sanctification. Then we have ultimate sanctification. When we go to heaven, boy, it's going to be wonderful. You have a new body. I'm voting for that. I don't know about y'all, but I vote for that. Just every now and then, I, well, I can, one, one, if it would just give me 10 seconds of a glorified body, it'd be awesome. I'd be, be good for a year. And then I just think about that. So that's coming. But then we have that part in the middle. And that becomes a problem for us sometimes. The part in the middle, from the day you accept Christ to the day we go home, we call that experiential sanctification. And God wants you to grow. God wants you to handle those exigencies. God sends some suffering along the way occasionally to help us keep focused on him. All right, so he wants us all to be sanctified. He wants us to be consistently filled with the Holy Spirit. And, of course, that's where sin comes into play. To set that aside, we don't, lose the, we don't lose the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but the fellowship with God through the Holy Spirit is set aside when we choose to sin. And so he wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're commanded to do that. And then he wants us to give thanks for everything. Now that's a hard one. So the next time you go to the doctor and he tells you, uh, you're not doing too well and you need to, you need to start making... Um, a determination about what's going to happen after you leave here. So when that comes, then you're going to thank him for it. See, that's where he wants us to get. And so as a believer in Christ, can we get there? We can, not by our power, not by our attributes, not by our talents, but because of who he is and looking into the word of God, his glory to in us reflecting his glory. That's where we can get. And then, of course, he wants us, yeah, I'm going to say it, he wants us to suffer sometime. And suffering is said when, you, when we suffer, we are to thank God for that. 
because suffering is God's way of helping us focus on what's really important in life. And you say, well, what is important? Well, we get distracted. Uh, people often get distracted in understanding what really is, what are we here for? But suffering brings it all back into focus because we have to go to the one who has the power, more power than we have. And so when we have to go back to that, suffering focuses that for us. And so do we apply scripture for the moment in which we suffer? In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of sound thinking. That's what he gives. So when fear comes our way, which is inevitable, I might add, because you're going to have something that happens to you that's bigger than our capacity to handle. And so who do we turn to? Can we immediately shift and refocus our thoughts on the person of Christ, on his attributes? Can we reflect his glory in our thinking in the circumstances that for us may be what we would call negative? And we can, but it's a process. So it's his will that we suffer to help us focus on what's most important in life. And then, of course, in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. So it's God's will that we trust him in all circumstances. And then he wants us to be productive. Every time you see for the Christian the word work in Scripture, just about every time it means the thought process of application. And so that production occurs as we apply Scripture to our circumstances. Let's hold our fingers here in 2 Corinthians and turn over to James just a minute. James has been our Thursday morning Bible study that... uh, Anybody can come to. I'm not trying to start a war or anything. I'm just saying. Uh, uh. Larry, did I say something bad? Yeah, there you go. Okay. okay. All right, James chapter 2. says in James chapter 2, and I think about when you think of works in Scripture for the Christian, it's not keeping a list to impress God, okay? Works is when you, or it's the occasion, when you as a believer have an opportunity to apply Scripture and you apply it. The greatest work that Abraham ever did, he did when nobody was around. And what did he do? Well, it tells us, you remember that God told him to take Isaac, his only son, his only natural-born son. Now, there were other instances where other people were involved in Abraham's family, but this was the one through Sarah. And notice what uh, God told him to do. He told him to take your only son and you sacrifice him. And so what, what, did, what did Abraham think? Here was the only person. Here was the one who was his heir. Here is the one through whom the the Messiah would come. And you say, go take his life? So what was his rationale? Did did he panic? He said, God, why me? Why should that? No. 
What did he do? In Hebrews, it tells us that he was so convinced that he had to do the, what God said, he was convinced that God, if he took his life, if, if no substitute was provided, he said, God will raise him from the dead. Now, that's total confidence in the person of God. So even in the midst of this, that was a work for him, by the way. Notice what it says here in uh, chapter 2 again of uh, verse, 20, verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified or vindicated by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, or literally through his works, and as a result of the works, his faith was matured. That's one of the most encouraging verses in Scripture, that through his application of Scripture, he grew another step. Next time, just think about the next time in Abraham's life, if there had been a next time. This was the ultimate in test for him. But if there had been a next time, in this particular case, he would have been able to handle it because he handled this one. He applied his total confidence in God to handle the situation. That was his work. And so, is that us? Is that where we are as believers? That's where God wants us. He wants us in faith application. All right, so that being said, remember, too, that we have all these points that we can, we can go through Scripture, and we, there are many. We could come up with 20, a category of 20 different things that we could say, this is the will of God. This is the will of God. This is the will of God. But by the same token, remember Satan has a plan as well. And so the Christian warrior is, to, is designed to follow our leader, Jesus Christ. But there's always the, the things that come up that are put in our path that try to divert us some other way. And so Satan has a plan. So what I'd like to do is take the last few minutes and, and look briefly at what Satan wants and then remember the power that God has to overcome the plan of Satan. The scripture is clear when it says that greater is he who is in you, the Holy Spirit, than he who is in the world, Satan. So you have all these things that come our way, but at the same time, do we have the inner power to handle that? And the answer is yes. Will we avail ourselves of that? The answer is maybe. It should come to where it's yes all the time. All right, so uh, Satan has this strategy. First of all, he wants people, especially unbelievers, to never hear a gospel message. He wants to blind the minds of those who have not yet believed. And so that's what you're up against. When you tell somebody about Christ, you're up against the fact that Satan is 100% against that because that's one more person. That's one more person that God can use in evidence against Satan. And so uh, when you give the gospel, Satan wants you or me to not make it very clear. Satan loves what I call a fuzzy gospel. He likes it whenever you say, well, you've got to believe in Jesus, but... You've got to go to church. You've got to do X number of good deeds. You've got to do all these other things. That's the fuzzy gospel. The gospel is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Total clarity. And, of course, that verse was written uh, whenever Paul was in jail. 
and he was witnessing to the Philippian jailer who thought everybody had escaped. And he said, Sirs, what must I do, the jailer did, what must I do to be saved? Paul didn't beat around the bush. My brother, you've got to go out and do penance now. You've got to do all this stuff. Now he said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And not just you, anybody in your house that does that can have their eternal salvation. So forget the fuzziness. The gospel of Christ is a 30-second detail when you really get it down to brass tacks. You get it down to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He bore your sins. Every sin that you have ever committed, past, present, and future, has been poured out on Christ and judged. And then when Jesus said on the cross, Tetelestai, it is finished, it was over. He had borne all the sins of the world. And so the issue is that one person, the person of Jesus Christ. Secondly, Satan wants us to have any defense apparatus we have to have that torn down. He loves a fuzzy gospel. He wants to make sure that we don't know the promises and the doctrines and the principles of the Word of God. He would like for us to ignore Scripture. But Scripture is the key. That's how we come to be great believers as far as God is concerned. And so when we continue to look in Scripture, and that should be a daily process, by the way, for spiritual momentum. Spiritual momentum comes as we consistently in the Word of God. In fact, the now let's turn, I'm going to do something I shouldn't do, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter, yes, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I knew I was close here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. This is one of Satan's worst enemies as far as verses is concerned because it's a big key. Notice what it says. Therefore, Paul had just listed all the reasons he could become discouraged about something. If there was ever a man that lived uh, that could be discouraged as Paul, in fact, do you want a list? Don't do it now. But Well, just look back at verse 8. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna resist, not going to resist that temptation. Go back to verse 8. He says, we are afflicted, Paul said, in every way, but not crushed. You can be afflicted in a lot of ways, but not crushed. I have these pressures, I have these problems, but I don't, I'm not stressed about it. See, that's what's different about the Christian. You can have pressures and problems, but the question becomes, does it turn out to be stress for us? And that's what Paul is saying here. I have these problems. If we were to give a testimony today, we'd be here tomorrow listening to everybody's problems. We all have them. I mean, that's just the way that is. You're not in heaven yet. And it says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed. He says, sometimes I don't know what to do. Wow. That's us too. But he says, but I don't despair. And so that's what Satan doesn't want you to I know about the Christian way of life. And now look in verse 16, where I originally told you to go. Therefore, he said, I've been through these problems. Do not lose heart. And then we have the testimony that we could, all, we could have written this. He says, though our outer man is decaying, yes, it is. The inner man is being renewed day by day. 
Is that our testimony? It can be if we are in the word, growing by means of grace, being renewed every day. And then he draws a wonderful conclusion. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. If you can go through the disaster, if you can go through the people testing, the system testing, the thought testing, the things that we go through, and have Christ's viewpoint, then all of that is a light affliction. And notice what he says. There is reserved for us an eternal weight of glory. And so Satan doesn't want you to hear that now. Because that's how you go through these things, these difficulties. Because apart from that, how do people make it? How do unbelievers make it? How do Christians make it who have to always turn and rely on others? Because every one of us is going to go through a, what I call a Daniel in the lion's den moment. There was nobody. He couldn't phone a friend. He couldn't open his Bible to his favorite Bible verse. It was Daniel by himself in the lion's den. So what did he do? Did he focus on Daniel? Did he say, oh, woe is me? No. The only way he handled this was focusing on who had his life in his hands. And so, again, Satan doesn't want you to know that. So can we come to the place where in the disasters that we face, in the testings that we face, in the systems that treat us unfairly, can we focus or refocus not on the problem, but on the person who has the answer to the problem? That is the key. And so that's what we want as believers in Jesus Christ. So Satan doesn't want you to have that line of defense. And then he wants you to focus on three other things. He wants you to focus on yourself. He loves it. When you get eyes on self, then he's one. And there are two instances in the Bible that I think about often. There are many. But remember Elijah in the Old Testament. The Lord called him. He's only mentioned like two or three chapters in the entire Bible. His history really is very short when it comes to the Bible. But everything's going great. You know, he is having tremendous victories. And then all of a sudden, Ahab and Jezebel got after him. He had to flee. He had to run for his life. And he got in the wilderness. And what did he say? He said, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one going through this, Lord. And so he got his eyes on himself. And then God reminded him, say, there's 6,000 other people you had never met. So remember, you're never in a situation but what God has already delivered somebody through that. So you have adversities, you have thoughts, you have pressures, but every one of us always remember God's already helped somebody through that and they went through it great because they turned to him. So you can't grow when you focus on yourself. You can only grow when you focus on God. So secondly, Eyes on self. And Peter's another classic example. He, he's, a, he's an example for a lot of things, isn't he? I mean, he just opens mouth, inserts foot consistently. I, I've done that too. And that's not a very pleasant feeling when that happens. But you remember whenever he told Jesus, Lord, I will never deny you. 
It was just a few hours. He denied him three times. What happened? He turned his thinking from the very most important person in his life to what people thought about him. He got his eyes on himself, and he set aside his values, his virtues, his integrity. Instead of looking to Christ, he looked to what people thought about him. Eyes on self. So that's what God wants. He wants you to get eyes on self. Secondly, he wants us to get our eyes on our circumstances. Oh, gosh. We, and, and you know what's one, one wonderful thing about our marathon group on Thursday? We're doing these bios. And John, I think you may be the one responsible. I don't, I don't know, Larry, one of you, we've been reading everybody's bio and what their lives are like. That's one of the most refreshing things I've ever heard because everybody's different. It is classic. Bill had a great one. Yeah, y'all didn't know Bill was probably involved with a circus at one point. It's, it's wonderful, I mean, just to hear that. But we all have these different circumstances. And in those circumstances, you can have the mental attitude, nobody's going through this, what I'm having to endure right now. Satan loves that. So he wants your eyes on yourself. He wants you to get eyes on your circumstances. And then thirdly, he wants you to get your eyes on your stuff. And I say our stuff. That's all the great things we have by living in the United States of America. And he wants us to focus on the material things. Well, it's great to have those things. I have a lot of them. They're great toys to play with. But is that the Christian way of life? Can that distract me to the point where as a believer in Christ, I lose my focus, and it can. And so Satan loves it when we focus on our stuff. And then lastly, he wants us to focus on the idea that as a believer in Christ, you cannot fail. Now, there's not many of us here that believe that because we know we've all been subject to that failure. And so uh, he wants us to Focus on the things that we say we can't fail at. Remember, you, none of us, are strong enough to carry our own worries. God didn't design the Christian to carry your worries. In fact, he says in 1 Peter, casting all your cares on him because he careth for you. And so uh, that's where we need to get to the point where we realize we are not sufficient in and of ourselves. We will never be sufficient in and of ourselves. Isaiah 23.6 says, says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on Christ because he trusteth in him. Who do you keep your eyes on? Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, it says. Isaiah 41.10, one of my favorite verses. I'm going to read it to you so I won't mess it up. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with my righteous right hand. See, that's what we've got to hold on to. And better than that, God's got a hold on us. And so, because he has a hold on us, we should focus on the fact that we are objects of God. Did you know that God thinks about you every minute or every day. Did you know that God cares and loves you every minute of every day? In closing, and our time is gone, but notice if you would uh, with me in John chapter 14. John chapter 14. 
Jesus, of course, was in the upper room, and as he was giving this information the last night, and, and I've heard, I don't know, I'm sure all of you have heard a set of sermons on what we call the upper room discourse, but it starts in John 13 and goes through 16, and 17 we have his high priestly prayer. And so in John 14, uh, notice what he says in verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled, worried, panic, none of that. Believe in God, believe also in me. Then he gives us the key to that, if you'll skip over to verse 21. He who has my commandments, that is part of who we are, that is in our soul, in our thinking, that's how we study scripture. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and consistently reveal myself to him. You see, that God thinking about us every day, we are the objects of his love every minute of every day. Also, we're the objects of his grace. Whatever adversity you're going through, whatever pressures we have, he's, he's fully aware of that. And he has the grace provision to deliver you through it or to take it away. God can take away things. God can still perform miracles. Don't get me wrong. But I think we probably grow more when we are delivered through it. Notice with me, if you would, in Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. It says, for the grace of God has appeared. And of course, grace is the unmerited favor of God on our behalf. Nothing to do with us. God says, here you go. What do I have to give in return? Nothing. It's grace. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. It trains us to reject godless ways, human viewpoint thinking to solutions of, of life, and worldly desires, grace trains us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly in our present time. Grace gets you through his wonderful provision. Thirdly, we're objects of God's power. There's nothing like that. God is omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. He has all the power. So in Philippians 2, verse 13, and this is, uh, this is something you can rely on, as is all of Scripture. For it is God who is operational in you. Wow. He's, he has the power in you, in us. He is operational in you to motivate the desire to do and then to do what God desires. He is in you trying to make that happen so that we, are, that we have his power and we're operating by the means of his power. And then lastly, we are objects of his faithfulness. You know God will never leave you? Is it, isn't it wonderful when Jesus was about ready to leave the earth? He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then, of course, he ascended. But uh, in Philippians 1.6, I am confident, the apostle writes, Philippians 1, six, 
I am confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you, that's the moment you believed in Christ as Savior, he will perfect it, carry it out, until the day of Christ, till he comes and takes us out of here. And so he's going to be faithful to you. When you became, when the moment you accepted Christ, you became a member of God's royal family. It's personal now. With God, it's personal. You have his righteousness. You have his life. You have his power available. You have the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. It's personal. He cares about you and he is faithful to you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And so I don't know if you've had stock in Anheuser Bush or not, but I do know this that God's got your issues, He's got your problems. Every insecurity He has, He can fill it up. There's an interesting Greek word that is in the, it's used in the New Testament quite often, it's called pleroo. And whenever you say that word, it means to fill. And it means to fill up a deficiency. And we all have deficiencies in our souls. But when the word is used, God is willing, able, has the power, has the knowledge to fill up all of our deficiencies so that we truly reflect the glory of Christ. Let's bow for a closing word of prayer. Father, we're thankful for all your blessings to us. We're thankful for your kindness, <clears throat> your patience, your demonstration of your love. We pray that each one of us would see the importance of being diligent students of your word and growing by means of your grace. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, Mike. What a blessing. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.